Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters show with your host, Joel Zeslovsky. I gotta be real, and this is as real as it gets. You're going to die. But I have a surprising practice that's going to help you live well until that day comes. This is episode number 103. Yo, yo, I'm grateful for your time and attention once again or for the first time. And if you're listening to Smart and Simple Matters for the first time, you might get the wrong impression of me in this episode, especially there's a there's a disconnect between my funky, uh, upbeat dance music intro and talking about death and dying. I think we can reconcile that disconnect. It'll make sense. Uh, perhaps, perhaps maybe you're going to be getting the right impression of me if you're listening for the first time, a new impression I'm hoping to make. Either way, I will do my best to do right by you and uh, freak you out a bit in the process. Yes, there may be some freak out time. You can handle it. I know it's for your own good, of course. I'm not a shock value kind of dude. Now, first of all, I've just got a couple of notes. You know, I'm really grateful for our show supporters in all their super sweet ways. Being a patron on Patreon, we have a new one. Her name is Brooke. Yeah, Brooke. Uh, leaving an iTunes review to encourage me or give our words some needed social proof. You know, dropping me a line with a voicemail. There are more ways to support the show at joelzeslowski.com slash support if you want to renew or begin helping us all out. Next, here's an extra dose of love to Sue A626 on iTunes, who recently wrote this review of the show. Sue said, I have learned and been inspired so much by this podcast. Joel's guests and personal philosophy inform and encourage me, and I'm grateful for this wonderful show. Sue, ah, I received that. I am grateful for you, too. You're about to get a new side of my personal philosophy. I hope you dig it like everything else I'm putting into this world. What do you say? Let's, let's get into this episode. It's a, it's a challenging one for me to create, and it's an intentionally challenging one for you to listen to. I want you to feel anxious. I want you to feel on edge a little bit, and I want you to embrace that if you can. All I ask is that you bring an open mind to the chat that I'm having with you, okay? Now, I'm not demanding you don't feel freaked out. I just know that you're probably going to be a better person, a better partner, better community member if you give this episode a chance. All right, caveats done. Here is my plan. What I really want you to get out of this episode is to be more comfortable with death in general and more open to talking about all the fascinating topics that surround death. And they are fascinating. You certainly do not have to be at peace with your ultimate demise. You don't have to be a cheerleader for a terminally ill relative. I'm not asking any of those things. I mean, there are hundreds of ways 
to get to this better place when it comes to death and dying. I'm just going to explore one way today that may make death seem less scary and more welcoming. You ready? Here we go. Back in March 2016, which is three months before I recorded this podcast episode, a longtime listener and a long-distance friend of mine, Rox, she sent me a note saying that her mom was ailing. Uh, She was in bad shape, and Rox was not in a very good mental state right now. She knew that I had talked about and explored this concept of practicing dying. I know, practicing dying. You've never heard of this before. You've never even conceptualized what that might be. Other people I've talked to about practicing dying over the three or four years since I published a blog post back in my Value of Simple days about it, they've been requesting more about this concept, more about how I think about it, how I do it, how other people I know practice dying, what the history, the origins, and the traditions are behind practicing dying. And I've been thinking, I need to do a podcast episode about this. I've thought about it literally for years and with Rox's request and, and Pippi and a number of other folks, a number of other nifty folks, I can't even remember, it's about time I went deep on this topic. So for you, you people who have asked for this, for you folks who are listening in the future who need this at just the right time, I dedicate this episode to you. Now let's start with where I learned about this concept of practicing dying. And really, it's exactly what it sounds like. You practice the moment that you die. And in order to learn about that, I need to take you back in time a little bit. I need to take you back in time to how I met Salvador Valdivinos, also known as Sal. Currently, this is June 2016 when I'm recording. Sal is my 91-year-old dynamo of a friend. My gosh, he just exudes a vibrancy that people of any age that I've met including small children, sometimes they don't have uh, as much seeping out of them as Sal does. Just a little bit about him. He is this exceptionally young and vigorous man, at least uh, mentally, and physically he's in great shape too. He takes great pride in telling people how many Nazis he killed in World War II. Now I know, that's like, why are you telling me this, Joel? Sal served in the U.S. Army in World War II, and he was shipped overseas, and he talks about it frequently and openly about it, just like Sal talks openly about anything that you can potentially ask him about. You know, but going back to World War II, more than proving his valor and putting his life on the line for his country, when I talk to him about it, he tells me that he achieved something greater, uh, a gift that very few of us ever get, especially... Sal was 18 when he enlisted and when he was sent overseas. I mean, especially at such a young age, Sal gave himself this gift. He achieved peace with dying. And you listen to him tell it or you read the history books, death was literally lurking around every corner in every pit he turned in Europe in the mid-1940s. A little more backstory about Sal. Sal's father, he was a stoic guy. He was never one to show gentle emotions, lived a very rigid life, sucked it up all the time, and just showed the world a bit of a cold face. And that maintained true until it came time for Sal to be shipped off to Europe to serve in the Army in World War II. 
for the first time, you know, Sal's dad, Sal was the oldest of eight children, and this was his eldest kid. And Sal's dad was faced with the very real prospect of never seeing him again. And at that moment, for the first time, literally in Sal's entire life, his father became soft and tender. Uh, Sal had never seen this side of his father before. And he, the, when he recalls it, he really enjoyed the warmth that was just radiating from his dad. He started to understand the positive benefits of dealing with death. So by the time Sal set foot on the ship to cross the ocean to fight the Nazis, uh, Sal had embraced the prospect of death. He had truly internalized it and realized there's a really good chance that I'm going to die. How do I live well until that happens? Whether it's on the battlefield or whether I'm in my 90s and it's 2016 and who knows how long Sal will be around. I hope for my sake and for the world's sake a long time uh, really, though, it wasn't until later in life that Sal started this practice, this practice of dying. Now, as a clinical psychologist for decades, Sal has this way of analyzing and communicating what's inside the depth of the human mind, unlike just about anyone else I've met. It is, it is cool to be in his presence and to hold court with Sal Uh, For example, I never considered the relationship between being a strong leader and death until I heard him say this. I met him in Toastmasters back in 2012. He was in the Toastmasters group, and we became fast friends. He was given a speech one day. He was given a speech about practicing dying, and he was talking about the association between leadership and death, and I heard him say something like this. He said, leadership is found in embracing dying because you can focus your energy on everything else. One more time. This is, this is important. Leadership is found in embracing dying because you can then focus your energy on everything else. Now, Sal was saying that in the context of leading his men into battle in Europe for World War II, but I just, at that point, I never considered simplifying my thoughts by practicing his death. And he continued in that talk. I jotted notes, which is why I remember it so vividly. He also said, practice how and where you want to die every now and then. The more often you do this, the more comfortable you get with death. And here's a man who, like I said, has been a clinical psychologist for decades, really understands the human condition extremely well. And he spoke and I listened and I was just kind of shocked into a new awareness. And this awareness, uh, this concept that he framed it, practicing dying, I looked up and I, I, I needed to know, is this original to Sal? Is he the only one who does it? Does this have a a philosophy, a history behind it? And it does. It's pretty simple. These two words, practice dying, those were Plato's final instructions to his disciples just before his own death. Practice dying, just those two words. And really, it's a practice that's relevant to everyone at all times throughout history because from the moment that you and I are born, we are all in the process of dying. I know that's kind of creepy for some. Maybe it's relieving for others. Like, yes, Joel, yes, you're right. I am dying. I know I certainly am dying. And there are always going to be friends and family members, neighbors, and others that we care about dealing with death or dying themselves. So getting at least somewhat comfortable with death and dying in general terms, but more specifically, 
cultivating a practice, an active thing, a go-to practice that you can do when you need to, when you want to, is incredibly gratifying. Okay, I know the skeptic alarm bells might be ringing just dearly inside your head right now, and you're thinking, back up, Zeslowski. I'm not with you. Where are you going with this? Like I said, keep an open mind. We're going somewhere on a journey together. We're getting to where you need to be, wherever that ultimately ends up to be. I want to just share with you a couple of quick notes as we get into reasons to practice dying, what some of the common objections are around it, which are totally valid and legitimate. If you have them, even after you're done listening to this episode, that's fine. I'm not trying to persuade you. I'm just trying to propose, suggest an alternative way of thinking and maybe even acting if you like this concept of practicing dying. Now, as of 2014... More than half of all British people in relationships are unaware of their partner's end-of-life wishes, according to a survey by the Dying Matters Coalition, and just under a third of people have let someone know their funeral wishes. (laughs) I'm thinking a, a third, a third of people have let someone know their funeral wishes. How will we even be able to talk about death to our most cherished people if we can't even think about death. Practicing dying, it gets you to accept your mortality, even if you don't like it. And I'm not saying you have to. I love living. I hope to do it for a long, long time to go. But being open, being tolerant, being accepting of the fact that you and I will die, uh, if I can accept my mortality, then I can see how I may be of service to others in my death. And the act of dying, whether it's a day or whether it's years, you can be of tremendous help and service to others in the course of dying. And that's what you and I want, right? We want to be generous? Well, maybe how about practicing dying? So you can be generous with your organs. Donate them to save lives when your body goes cold. I mean, I think about it this way. My body is just on lease for a number of years and it needs to return back to where it came from, which is the earth. So sharing my organs might not be that strange or intrusive of a compromise on who we are. It's just what we give, the gift that we give in death so that others may live. One of the biggest issues for the dying and people who love them or are trying to support them in their final days is finding it impossible to express what they're feeling or what they would like. Now, now think about this. Just picture this. What if you already knew what it felt like to die and how you'd like it to happen in an ideal state? There would be no communication issues with your loved ones or caretakers near the time of your death. Think about this. How much mental anguish could be spared if all these miscommunications, all these misunderstandings, if they could be removed in general, not to mention with something as sensitive as dying. Communication, as you know, kind of an important deal. We humans have been doing it for a long time, yet we haven't really been doing it as of late around dying. And that causes a lot of emotional pain, a lot of logistical challenges, and it doesn't have to be that way. So it doesn't just practicing dying. It doesn't just help us get comfortable with dying. It also helps us come to terms that there may be suffering, and perhaps it's going to be long and painful suffering before we die. 
a tip, if you listen to SASM episode 71 with Aaron Kennard, though, you're going to realize, if you don't already, that uh, this pain, pain and suffering, they are two very different things. And really, you can find euphoric joy in immense pain. <laughs> I know, that sounds wild, right? Listen to episode 71 of the show and listen to Aaron frame it. Maybe you'll come to that conclusion as well. Now, I know this is a super sensitive subject, and I might be talking about death and dying a little bit more casually than you're used to. Part of that, I have to say, it's intentional. I want you and I to be able to discuss death and dying casually. I want us as a culture, as a society, as a world to be able to talk about these things openly and somewhat matter-of-factly because it's going to happen. And really, I'd like authentic conversation to be the norm for everything, especially death. You may be afraid to die. I know I've said that before, and <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I, at the time of recording right now, I am too. I'm afraid of dying. Not to the extent that I was before I started practicing dying or made a number of changes in my life, but I still am too. You may not talk about it because you don't want to be a burden to your friends, your family, your community. That I totally get. You know, maybe you're actively going through something that requires a literal death-defying approach. You may have cancer. Uh, You could have just been in a horrible accident. You or someone you know has some kind of degenerative condition. Now, I can understand how someone would rage against themselves in that kind of scenario. They would rage against the world, God, you know, whatever it is that you believe in, if you feel defeated, if you feel lost, if you're alone, uh, perhaps we don't want to replay the missed opportunities, you know, the wasted moments in our life. We may need more time to seek or give forgiveness. All things that practicing dying may bring up, it doesn't have to be this way. From a biology and evolutionary perspective, every living thing on this planet that ever was or ever will be is programmed on a genetic level to avoid or fight against death. So we have to push past our hard wiring. (laughs) And our hard wiring is there for a reason. Pushing past it, it's hard. But where does the most growth come from, right? When we challenge ourselves, when we learn about ourselves, when we push back against some of the limitations that we've placed on ourselves or that our genes, our evolution have said, this is how you have to live, this is how you have to think. That's not true anymore. Doing things that our lizard brains are desperately trying to stop us from doing because, oh my goodness, you're gonna die, man. Or at least uh, pain and suffering is gonna rain down upon you in endless streams. Okay, that might not be how your inner dialogue works with you, but that's kind of how my lizard brain talks. Oh my goodness. Now, I just want to bring up, I wrote a blog post on the topic of practicing dying a few years ago, and a woman named Denise, she had this comment on the blog post. I felt it was appropriate to share it with you right now. Denise wrote that as shocking as the idea seems when you first read it, or when you first hear it in your case, It also makes so much sense because if you're simply going to recite a cliche like, hey, uh, live every day like it's your last, does that really put you in the place mentally that today is your last day? Not not really. The idea of really practicing your last day sounds like it would make a bigger impact that would really put things in perspective. 
My response to Denise was this. I wrote that after I first practiced dying, I thought to myself, uh, yeah, that was kind of cool, but still don't get it. And it was after the third or the fourth or fifth time that it really soaked in with me and started to become something that I enjoyed, something that wasn't weird or creepy, something that I look forward to. And I found that it's important to view it as a ritual, which would probably heighten its power for a lot of people. Combining the practice of dying with a live every day like your last mantra, I think that's a pretty groovy combo. And I don't sell short the power of a mantra when used as a helpful ritual. I think it's especially important to think about it in terms, uh, in those terms at least, if you don't believe in heaven or reincarnation. I don't believe in either of those two things. It's just part of my set of beliefs. You know, for me, I see death as a full stop. And as a result, I'm going to approach it differently than someone who believes in reincarnation or heaven. I don't think it matters what your religious or spiritual beliefs are to benefit from practicing dying. Uh, there's something in it for everyone if you're willing to give it a shot. I'd like you to understand I'm no expert on practicing dying, but this isn't just a Joel and Sal thing. Uh, As crazy as this thing may sound, if it sounds crazy at all, billions of people over time have done it and continue to do it. So for example, let's take the Tibetan Buddhists who believe that death is a stage of transition. It's just an exchange of a used life force in one life for a new life force in the next life. It's like getting a new set of clothes once the old ones have worn out. So in other words, uh, some Buddhists see death as a process and not as an end. Some of the dying uh, Tibetan Buddhists in that cultural tradition, they even summon their children and explain how they would like them to help them die. The dying are the ones consoling the living. The dying are the ones consoling the living and guiding them on how to share their legacy or their property. They might even invite a monk or a teacher to help them at the prime moment of dying to do the rituals for a peaceful death. They're called the Eight Prayers and Chanting of the Medicine Buddha. Here's another example. Some Hindus practice samadhi, the highest level of concentrated meditation. Here's a little from Wikipedia about samadhi, since it's certainly not something that is commonly known. Uh, They say that when someone dies in India, it's not uncommon to say that the person has gone to samadhi, The tombstone area is also referred to as a place of samadhi. Also, uh, in Buddhism, it is the last of the eight elements of the Noble Eightfold Path and the Ashtanga Yoga tradition. It's the eighth and final limb identified in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Those were a lot of words that I probably mispronounced and you probably don't know. You don't have to worry about the pronunciation. It's just about the concept and the mindset. Uh, The goal for some of these folks, these billions of people who have thought this way for centuries, according to Wikipedia, is the complete absorption of the individual consciousness in the self at the time of death. Now, I've linked to the Wikipedia article about Samadhi in the show notes. That's at joelzaslavsky.com slash SASM103. I recommend you check it out too. Whoa. It's a wowzer kind of dealio. And there are a certain set of mental factors and a process associated with the practice and thinking about samadhi, this practicing dying. It starts with the movement of the mind 
onto the object, which they call fetaka, then retention of the mind on the object, called vakara, and then joy or rapture, piti. Next is complete happiness, sukha. Then comes equanimity, upekha. And the last one is what they call one-pointedness, egagata, being totally aware of the present moment. Focus, joy, rapture, full body and mind happiness, equanimity being 100% present in the moment. Isn't that what we're going for when we're living? Well, uh, it turns out that we might be able to get and keep those things if we practice dying. I think you're good on the theory and the history, the cultural aspect of practicing dying. Let's discuss the application, the methodology of doing it. I'll give you a couple of examples. I only have two from personal experience. The first one is from Sal, the way that he explained it in his Toastmaster speech a few years ago. And the second one is me and my practice of practicing dying. So first, since this originates from Sal, at least from my perspective, I want to talk a little bit about how Sal does it. Some days he gets into his bed at home, closes his eyes, visualizes that he's experiencing the entire process and timeline of his last moments, and he embraces death the way most people would embrace life. He has this multi-step visualization and sequence of events, and I know I failed to capture everything properly. A lot of this is coming from a memory of a conversation I had with him about it at my dinner table. Here's the high-level version to kind of give you the step-by-step view. So one, he loses interest in eating solid foods. This This is days before he actually dies as he's visualizing it. So he loses interest in eating solid foods. Then he loses his capacity to fully interact with people. His family travels to be with him as he approaches death. He has actual conversations with each family member as he prepares to exit the physical world. And last, as he drifts out of consciousness, he's fully ready to die and becomes just blissfully happy. I know what you might be thinking because I thought it at one point. You might be thinking, Joel, it's easy for Sal to think about practicing dying because he's 91 now and it's more scary the younger that you are. Maybe you're 20, maybe you're 30, maybe you're 36 like I am. Perhaps you're older. I'm younger than Sal, dude. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm younger than Sal too by 54 years and I'm not nearly as afraid of dying as I used to be anymore. I enjoy, yes, I know that's the appropriate word. I enjoy practicing dying. I think that once you've made up the life experience and mental or emotional development to handle it, maybe as early as your mid-20s and up, that this practice is for everyone. Now, if you want to read about how I practiced dying for the first time, there's a link to the blog post. I wrote about it in October 2012. It's going to be in the show notes for this episode. If you want to compare and contrast, go for it. More importantly, my current practice, here's how I practice dying now as recently as 30 minutes ago because I wanted to get into the proper mindset when recording this episode. A little caveat, I I still don't feel like I know what I'm doing. (laughs) 
I have a lot to refine in my own practice, but it's important enough for me to embrace the awkwardness and the discomfort and go deeper into it. So here's how I do it. First, I laid down in the center of my queen-size bed with my hands in my lap, but I did not get under the blankets because I didn't want there to be a barrier between me and the people who would be huddled around me in my last moments. You'll notice that I didn't go back days into uh, my process of dying like Sal did. This is really just last moment kind of stuff. Um, Next for me, then I imagine myself in my own living space. I am body to body close with my living family members. I, I don't know who that's actually going to be when the time comes, but at least for the ease of visualization, it's my wife, Melinda, my two boys, Grant and Clark, a couple of cute but faceless grandchildren sitting on my boys' laps, maybe another relative or two, and a couple of my lifelong best friends. My body, I'm, I'm propped up a bit, leaning against the pillows behind my back so that I can see my loved ones eye to eye. And that's really important to me. I want to be literally on the same level as everyone else as I die. Everyone is scrunched in together on both sides of me. They're sitting cross-legged on each side of me on the bed. I just, I don't want a bunch of people hovering over me. I want to feel that human-to-human, peer-to-peer connection of being on the same level. With my last words and looks, uh, nonverbal communication as well, just trying to emanate gratitude and love, I expressed why I was grateful for each person who loved me enough to be by my side at the time of my death. I then let my arms loosely fall with my palms facing up, much like Shavasana or corpse pose in yoga, if you're familiar with that. My feet flop open, I unclench my jaw, and I let my mouth just hang open. And then to simulate the effect of losing my senses, I close my eyes, I put in earplugs. I'm trying to stimulate a lack of awareness of the physical world. And I'm also trying to intensify my responsiveness to the mental and the spiritual world. Then uh, I get lost in thoughts about the future and how the people I love might experience it. For me, at least, I, I I can't justify reflecting on myself, my own life, or my past at the point of dying because all those things, they're going to be irrelevant to me. But it's more peaceful. Uh, It's more calming to think about everybody else at that point in time. I just breathe at a natural pace. I'm not trying to force any kind of harmonious breath through some intentional pattern. I'm just being. I'm breathing as much as I can. And then I see myself gradually losing consciousness, slumping over to my right where Melinda would be since she's always to the right of me in our bed and I'm no longer a part of this world. That is my practicing dying practice. And really, it's, uh, it's fascinating to see how it's changed since the first time I did it with some additional refinement. I added some family members. For example, Clark, my two-and-a-half-year-old son, he wasn't born when I first did this. And my current desire to have everyone physically huddled around me, these are things that I've changed and will continue to evolve the more that I do it, the more that my life changes. If this sounds weird to you, maybe it's even a romanticized version of how people actually die because not everybody gets to die the way that they want. 
Uh, well, I, you're certainly not the only one to point that out. And my good friend Shanna, who you may remember from episode 39, she wrote a comment on the blog post I wrote a while back about practicing dying. And basically she said this. She says, hey, it seems to me that you and Sale, you have this idealized way that you want to die. You're in bed, you're at home, surrounded by loved ones. And yep, sounds great to me. But do you contemplate death in a car wreck? You know, the types of death you never see coming. She says it's far better to contemplate that so that every parting you leave your loved ones at peace. I thought about it for a little bit before responding. And if you're curious, I basically summed up my response to Shan at that point in time by saying this. I, I said, I don't contemplate spontaneous and unpredictable ways to die. Because at least the way that I live my life, I'm fortunate to be able to say with some degree of confidence that the odds are greater that I'll get to die in some kind of a preferred way and be able to realize the practice of dying the way that I visualize it. Uh, Just in general, I don't spend time thinking about negative things that are unlikely to happen to me. I'm not a worrier. These are just not the kinds of things that run through my mind. It's too much energy for too little benefit uh, to me to, to think about dying in a car wreck or whatever other ways would be traumatic and more sudden than being in bed with my loved ones in kind of that idealized way. But by becoming comfortable with dying in general, it prepares me for death in whatever form it ultimately takes. Another woman named Cecilia, she left an intriguing comment on the blog post, and to this day, I'm still processing a little bit. She wrote about how both her elderly parents passed away uh, over the course of two years. And during their final days, she found herself spontaneously practicing dying in order to get a sense of what they were going through. She wasn't able to actually feel the sense of peace that her parents seemed to experience in their final hours, but the experience of their deaths that brought home to her that the finality of death. It inspired her to think very deeply about how she wanted to spend the rest of her life and the spontaneous practice of dying to put herself in the shoes of her parents and to understand and emotionally attach or, depending on how you look at it, detach herself from what her parents were experiencing. You know, when Plato was asked to sum up his life's work in philosophy, he said simply, practice dying. And this message is not to wait to be transformed until death comes knocking on your door. If you're a Zen Buddhist, I've heard them sum up the teachings and philosophy of practicing dying or just in general as let go. These simple two-word responses, practice dying, let go. We can get this kind of great insight into how to live an intentional life by embracing our eventual deaths. I hope You'll consider practicing dying as well now that you've just listened to some of the backstory, some of the way that I and Sal do it, some of the cultural traditions around it. So many of us are so fearful of death, Uh, not because we'll cease to exist, at least in physical form, but from thoughts like, how will my family ever get along without me? (laughs) Well, I guess the reality, the way that I look at it, uh, is probably the same way that you got through your mom or dad dying or your grandma or grandpa dying or your best friend who was 14 and got in that terrible accident or committed suicide, how they died. It's going to suck. 
It's it's going to suck big time. But I believe in the resilience of the human spirit and how resourceful we are when we have no other choice. I know your spiritual beliefs are going to guide if and how and when you practice dying, but I think you'll be better off for trying it, regardless of what you believe. So, whew, uh-huh. doozy, huh? Doozy of an episode, I tell you. I- I'm here to ask questions now. What resources or experiences do you have that would help us look forward to in dying or at least get comfortable with the prospect of dying? If you've got books, blog posts, stories from your family, religious or cultural traditions I've never heard about, that would be awesome. I would love it if you would share it with me and everyone else in the show notes. Those are at joelzaslavsky.com slash S-A-S-M-1-0-3. You can also find links to all the stuff I spoke about, topic timestamps, takeaways, and more niftiness in the show notes. Once again, those are at joelzaslavsky.com slash S-A-S-M-1-0-3. Here's another question. Are you pissed off right now? Are you pissed off that I got sloppy, I was inconsiderate, I spoke so casually, maybe even callously about death and dying in this episode? Maybe you want to say how relieved you are that these kinds of conversations can become and are increasingly public and authentic. Let me know. I'm on Twitter at Joel Zaslavsky. You can also send me an email, joel at joelzeslavsky.com. If you know someone who needs to think about or talk about death in a new way, please share this episode with them. Maybe they're knocking on death's door. Maybe they need some real talk about how they won't be here forever, but they'll thank you for pointing them to the good stuff which we're creating together. I'll be back in your ears again soon for now. You just listened to the Smart and Simple Matters podcast with Joel Zeslowski. Now go simplify something. Hug someone or get your sexy spreadsheet on.